loves us just who we are. And Father, you made us the way we are, and you never make any mistakes. Today, as we focus on your word, we believe that your word teaches us foundational truths, e- eternal things about us that help us to, to lead a life, the life that you have promised for us. So help us today to look at this story, to look at this parable, and be able to find uh, something in it that you want us to hear, that you want us to see, that you want us to do, so that we can be the people that you've called us to be. In Christ's name, amen. I want you to think now of a time in your life when you were looking for a job, okay? Maybe that's been recently, maybe that's been a long time for some of us, but hopefully at some point in your life, I think for most of us, it's safe to assume that you've looked for employment. And I want you to put yourself in that mindset. And uh, for me, that wasn't that long ago. I mean, I, I was interviewing with uh, the leadership of Exodus, and, and uh, I mean, I was trying just to be as natural as I, I, I can be, but, but you know what that's like when you're looking for employment, you're trying to put your best foot forward, you know, you're wanting work, you're, you're, there's this job opportunity that you want, and, and I want you just to think back about what those dynamics were, what, what that, maybe the anxiousness and, and, and how, how you wanted to be treated and what you were hoping to happen. Because today we're going to look at a parable that Jesus teaches where some guys were looking for work. They were looking for employment. Now, a parable, Jesus used them a lot of times to teach, and basically it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And, and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you brought a Bible, you might turn into Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be there uh, and, and kind of just unpack those scriptures. But it's a story of a man who owns a vineyard, okay? And maybe some of us in here uh, have maybe never been to a vineyard. I mean, a vineyard is, is kind of think of it as kind of an old-timey thing a little bit. I mean, it's not like we hang out in vineyards a lot. But, but a vineyard, you know, is where they would raise grapes, they would take grapes, and they would put them in a press, and they would make wine. And uh, wine was, um, was a... a a beverage not only today, but back in Jesus' time that they used quite a bit. And so this owner of the vineyard doesn't have enough workers to harvest his grapes. And that's the setting that we find in Matthew chapter 20 when Jesus tells the parable of the vineyard worker. So let's look in verse 1, Matthew chapter 20, and we pick up the story there. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. All right, so the scenario is at 6 a.m. in the morning. That's when the Jewish culture started work. And the sun was just beginning to, to peak over the horizon. And this, this landowner, this vineyard owner, goes into the marketplace w- w- to look for work. And it was kind of like a first century temp agency. All right? It, you, you know, so people are just hanging out. They, have, they don't have anywhere to work. They want to work. They're just hanging out. And so he goes down there and tries to get some guys to come and work for him for just that day. Verse 2. He agreed to pay them a, what does it say? Denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius in, in this time, first century, was a common wage for a day's work. All right? So I want all of us in our mind to get whatever amount in our head that we think would be a fair day's wage, okay? And we're not going to say what that is, but in your mind, you think, if I worked for somebody for a day, this is how much money I would expect. Okay, that's what a denarius is, just to help us translate it, just what you think would be worth one day's work. And so he's going through um, this season. These guys are thinking, you know, we don't have enough 
employment, they're looking, and so if someone came to you and said, hey, w- would you come and file these papers, or would you come and help me set up this lab, or would you come and work on our assembly line, or, or would you come and help on this farm or this construction site? Whatever would be fair, you think in your mind, consider that a denarius. So get that dollar figure in your head. And so he asked the guys, you know, do you need to work? And they're like, absolutely, we need to work. So, so they go at 6 a.m. and work. Now, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., would have been the best days to work because this is a very hot, dry environment. And the earlier in the morning you would go out, the better it would be for working. So these guys are working at the prime time of the day. The sun's not too hot. They're all well rested. But a weird thing happens three hours later in the story because the landowner, the vineyard, the guy over the vineyard goes back and he gets more workers. Maybe there was just more work to be done than what they thought. So look at verse 3. About the third hour, which would have been 9 a.m., He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard, and I will pay you, what does he say here? Whatever is right. So they don't even know exactly what they're getting. They're like, I'll pay you whatever is right. And they're like, "Eh, okay, looks like an honest guy. So they go. So three hours in the day have passed. Right? The, the guys that have been there for 6 a.m. are there working. They work three hours. And what the, what's that like when you've been somewhere working and somebody shows up late for work or shows up three hours later than when you started? What's that like when they do that? You know, you're like, hey, wiping the sleep out of your eyes, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like, look who just rolled in. Okay, so that's kind of the attitude. Three days later or three hours later, these guys uh, get in. And so now it's 9 a.m. in the morning. It's getting a little hotter. It's a little later in the day, but now there's two groups of people that are working in this vineyard for this owner. And at noon, the landowner goes and asks some more guys. So, and he does the same thing again at three o'clock. Look at verse five. The landowner, it says, he went out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. Hey, you guys need work? Come back to my vineyard. I've got work for you to do, and I'll take care of you enough pay you what's right. So, so it happens again. Now, 5 p.m. rolls around, and uh, the 6 a.m. guys are beat at this point, okay? I'm sorry, 5 p.m. So 5 p.m., 11 hours after some of them have been to work. Y- you know, the day has been long, and, and they're watching the clock, anticipating the end of the day. It's almost quitting time, and in the last hour, the vineyard owner does something really interesting in verse 6. About the 11th hour, this is 5 p.m., he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you go also work in my vineyard. Okay, so let's go back to the vineyard. Now you got the 6 a.m. guys, you got the 9 a.m. guys, you got the noon guys, you got the 3 p.m. guys, and you've got the 5 p.m. guys. All of these guys have been working in the vineyard. Now it's 6 o'clock, it, it's, it's time to quit, and, and, and in this scenario, they get paid for their day's labor. So the story takes a twist in, in verse 8 where they get paid. It says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with who? The last ones hired and going to the first. So for some reason, he chooses to hire the guys who work the least amount before he pays the guys who work most. So they line up to get their money. So you got the 5 p.m. guys, you got the 3 p.m. guys, you got the noon guys, then you got the 9 a.m. guys, then you got the 6 a.m. guys who are ragged, 12 hours of work. 
And, and they're all getting ready to get their money, you know, their greenbacks, their George Washington's, uh, their coin. I mean, this is payday. You, you know, you're ready to get some money so you can go home. And I don't know what they were going to do that night with it, but, but this was their payoff. Verse 9, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a, what does it say? Denarius, which is what was promised to the guys who started the day at 6 a.m., right? Okay, now let's pause here and think of what's happening. The guys who worked one hour are getting a denarius, and the guys who worked 12 hours knew that they were promised the same thing. So, you know, one guy's like, oh, hold on, man, they screwed up. They're, like, paying us too much. Another guy's elbowing you. He's like, shut up, dude. <laughs> Just take the money, okay? Don't screw this up. Okay, so that's going on. And then I can think the guys in the back are thinking, hold on, if he's going to pay those guys a denarius for working one hour, I mean, I know what he said, but if he's going to give them that, just think of what he's going to give us. And, and how do I know that they're doing that? Because you and I do the same thing, don't we? Like, if you get extra, uh, like, your, your um, scholarship money comes in and it's more than what you expected, or you get a bonus at work, or your tax check comes back and it's m maybe more than what you thought, what do you start doing? You're like, okay, I could do this, and I could go there, and I could buy one of those. And so before you even get the money, I mean, your head's spinning. You're, you're already spending the money on things, Right? So that's what these guys are doing in, in their mind. They're, they're going, man, when I, man, I come home and show my wife how much money I made today, and it's just going and going and going. That's what's going on in the back of the line. So verse 10 comes along. So then when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Okay, I mean, we can understand that. But each one of them also received a, what's it say? A denarius. Okay, now in the story, we have a problem, all right? There's tension because the guys in, 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 that have worked for 12 hours are seeing that the guys who have worked one hour got paid the same thing that they did, which in our mind, in our world, I mean, we get our calculators and our heads start doing the numbers and we're like, that's not what? Fair, right? That's not fair. That's not fair for us for, for me to work 12 hours and somebody else to work one hour and get paid the same thing. That, that's what's going on. I mean, so you can, you can imagine the anger. I mean, the guys that have been there, the 6 a.m. guys are angry. I mean, they're about to go Mel Gibson on this landowner. I mean, they, it, it is just like corking up in them. I mean, they just about can't deal with it. Verse 11. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. We can understand that. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And you can just hear them saying, you know, that's not fair. I, I, that just doesn't seem fair that you would treat them that way. And so the landowner calls one of the guys over in verse 13. But he answered one of them, friend, am I not being, unf I am not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work? for denarius well yeah i'm yeah i did but i mean that's really not the point i mean the the point is we did but you're paying them more and that doesn't seem really fair and the landowner's like rewind the tape i mean 6 a.m you're in the marketplace i go up to you you want work i tell you you're gonna pay i'll pay you denarius you're 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 grateful for that so you come and work and i'm giving you what i told you that i would give to you 
Verse 14, take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. So the landlord's saying, here's a denarius. Like, I didn't rip you off. I mean, I, I am being faithful to everything that I told you. I'm giving you what I promised that I would give to you. And I know you don't think that's fair, but, you know, it's my money. If, if, if I want to pay this guy more than that guy, I mean, it's, it's my money. And I, I really am not doing anything dishonest to you. I've not broken my promise. Verse 15, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? So the lender says, it's my money. You know, it's my vineyard. Last time I checked, I was the boss. So I have the right to do this. Verse 15, the last part of verse 15. Interesting question. Or, he says, are you envious because I am generous? You see, the real problem wasn't that the 6 a.m. guys got paid a denarius. The real problem was that the guys who only worked an hour, they felt like were paid too much, right? So that was the problem. And that's the problem that you and I have when we live a life of comparing our situation to other people's situation. Because when we do that, when we look at other people's situation and then look back at ours, we get this sickening feeling in our stomach that somehow we kind of got ripped off that we kind of got the short end of the stick, that, that it doesn't really seem fair, that we ought to get more. And as we looked at earlier in that principle, comparison leads to jealousy, and jealousy fosters discontent, and discontent robs us of peace. And that's what happened in this story. Do you think the guys went home at the end of the day and felt peaceful? Felt, man, that was a great day. No, they went home griping and kicking rocks and cursing the vineyard owner and walked in and you think it was a great night at their house? No. Why? Because they didn't see what they got wasn't as good as what somebody else received. So a few years ago, one of my kids comes down to the bar and um, wants a bowl of ice cream. Pam had gotten some ice cream from the store and so I put some ice cream in one of their bowls and they're sitting there and they're just you know, taking it and eating it. And this is several years ago when they were younger. One of the other kids walks up and asks, hey, Dad, can I get some ice cream, too? I'm like, yeah. So they put the ice cream in their bowl, and they start eating it. First child looks at the second child, and there's a little bit more ice cream in the second bowl than there was in the first bowl, and looks up to me and says, Dad, that's not fair. How come they got more ice cream? Okay, as a parent, I'm just like trying to be even and loving my kids and dishing out ice cream to them, hoping that they would appreciate that, that the work that I did for the money that I made to provide the ice cream for them. But do you know what I get? I get, hey, Dad, that's not fair. She got more ice cream than I got. And that's what happens in our lives when we compare our situation with other people, isn't it? Now, I'm so grateful that, that this story, this only happens when we're younger and when we grow up and when we mature, we never have a tendency to look at other people's situations and compare them to our own, right? <laughs> right, yeah, we know better than that, don't we? There's a married couple that uh, scrapes together enough money to buy their very first home. 
and it's kind of the starter home, you know, just a little, little bit of a fixer-upper, and they get it, and they are so excited. Took a little bit of elbow grease, and they had to paint it and do some things to it, but, you know, it's, it's cute. It's the first home. It's cute. They are so excited about it, and uh, they just have this sense of, God, thank you for your faithfulness and providing us a home. And they're asked over for dinner to uh, some people that they knew from school, and they haven't seen them in several years. And as they're on their way to, to the home that night for their friends, they, they get closer and closer to the house, and they realize like, the neighborhood is getting increasingly, increasingly better as, as they go. And, and they pull up into their friend's home for dinner that night, and they kind of look, and they're counting the garage doors, you know, and, and they're looking around, and they're, they're noticing the construction and how big, and they're looking at the grass that's all completely green with the little sprinkler head things that pop out and stuff. And they're like, wow, okay, yeah, that's um, a nice place. And they go in, they have dinner, and they show them around. And, you know, there's always another room, and then there's another room. And then, oh, and there's a basement, have we showed you that? And we go out and look at the playground, and it's fenced in with the kids. It's got an invisible fence for the dog. And it's like, da 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 And they eat dinner, and they leave. And it was great to see the old friends. But on the way home in the car, it's really quiet. Because somehow deep down in their gut, it's like, you know, I was just as smart as him. And we graduated together. And, like, I work hard and have a job. And why is he so much better? Or why did he get a promotion? Or how come that company picked him? Or, or, and there's just like this, this quietness when they go home. Because there's this feeling for both of them that, you know what? We feel like we got ripped off a little bit. Because somewhere they look at their ice cream bowl and they took their eyes off of it and they looked at someone else's and when they compared, all of a sudden, they became jealous. And when they became jealous, they felt like they got robbed from God. And so what happened earlier in the day of appreciating the home that God had given them now had turned into robbing them of the peace and the very blessing that God had given. Because when we compare, that's what happens to us. Let's, let's talk about another story. There's a young college student. She's got two roommates, and uh, she is paying her own way through college. She is working a part-time job and, and trying to scrape up enough money to get, get, and she's been praying that God would give her more hours, that there would be an opportunity because it's just like, you know, never enough money to quite cover the bills. And she's leaving work, and the boss says, hey, you know, um, so-and-so's not going to be working here anymore, and I think I could use you like another 10 hours a week if that would work out for you. And she's so excited on her way home, she's just thinking, she's walking back and going, God, thank you for answering my prayer. I mean, 10 more hours a week. I get to work 10 more hours a week. That is going to help my situation. That is going to give me the extra money that I need, and that is, she's just overwhelmed with thanks of, of how great that is. And so she walks in, into her uh, apartment, and there are her two roommates. And here's the conversation that's going on. One roommate's going like, uh, like, what are you going to do for spring break? And the other roommate's like, uh, like, it's so lame. Like, we're going to my dad's uh, timeshare in Panama City. And like, I am so sick of Panama City. Like, we go there all the time. And I just wish we could go somewhere like really cool and uh, just not, not like that. And the other girl's like, oh, yeah, I know. My family, we're going to New York. And uh, we got tickets to the Broadway show. And we're going to do this. And they're just going on and on and on and on and on. And, and, and the, the part-time job girl that walked in is just like, 
you guys make me sick. Like, uh, why isn't my situation like that? Because I'm working on spring break. I'm not going to Panama City. I'm not going to New York City with my family. My family doesn't have a timeshare in Florida. And I'm staying here and I'm working. But in that story, what just happened? She took her eyes off of her bowl and put them on someone else's bowl. And all of a sudden, what she was extremely thankful for now turned to robbing her of the peace that God really wanted to offer her. And that happens to us in this world so many times. It's the same story that happened in that vineyard thousands of years ago. And, and, and when that happens, we, 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 just, we just feel sickened in our stomach, and we feel like some way that, that maybe God's ripped us off. But it doesn't just happen in those situations. It happens in relationships, too. I mean, it's, it's the single person that... Um, starts looking around and realizing like they're the only ones of their friend or their group that doesn't have a serious boyfriend or girlfriend or isn't engaged or isn't married, and then get that feeling like, God, why am I like the third wheel in everything? Why don't I have a life partner? Well, what's the story with that? It's, it's the widow who walks into church every single week and sees married people and families walk in and, and has lost that person in their life and says, God, why, why did this have to be me? Why did I have to deal with this situation? It's the married couple that has tried every, every option that they can think of to, to have a child, and it hasn't worked, and they haven't become pregnant, and they look around at people that have kids, and sometimes people that have more kids than they even want, and they kind of scratch their head and go, that doesn't seem fair, God, that, that it would work that way. It's the person that sits alone in church every week, that is married and, and has a spouse that's unbelieving and won't come to church with them and looks around and sees other people who, as couples, come to church and wonders, God, I, when did I sign up for that? I, I, don't, I don't remember it. It's not fair, God. Don't you care about me? And you can almost hear that voice then. You can almost hear the voice of the disgruntled workers in the vineyard. They were saying, we've been here for 12 hours and you're going to pay us the same thing that you paid them, that doesn't seem very fair. But God says, have I been unfaithful to you? Hold on, hold on. God's like, have I ripped you off? I mean, at one moment I provided and you were grateful, and then as soon as you start looking at someone else's situation, all of a sudden I become the bad guy, and you think somehow not everything's fair because you don't get as much as someone else does. And yet God is the landowner in that parable and it's his money, and it's his kingdom. And if he wants to give it away in different ways, it's, it's perfectly up to him. And the question that we have to grapple with is, can we appreciate God's joy and generosity? I mean, we have to grapple with that. Because my focus is on my bowl, everything is okay. But when I focus on someone else's bowl of ice cream, then all of a sudden, things aren't quite as rosy. Because some people are always smarter, some people are always better looking, some people have more hair on their heads than other people have. Some people are more athletic, some people are more gifted, some people are born into money. And whenever we stop looking at our situation and just look at someone else's situation, there's always going to be people that we think, well, why did they get that? Or how come they are blessed with that and I'm not? And the interesting thing is it just doesn't seem that God is all that concerned about that fairness. God's not always into fairness. And the question is, can we, can you and I follow him on those terms? 
Can we say, God, I will still worship you and I will trust that you are going to provide and you are going to give me everything that I need. And when we come to love God on those terms, we will be able to truly love him. And if we can't love God on those terms, we will somehow never truly love him and we'll feel like we've been robbed because comparison leads to jealousy and jealousy fosters discontent and discontent robs peace. So there's three trappings that I, I want to share with you um, as we kind of wrap up here that if we, if we live our lives by comparison, th- this is what happens to us. The first one is this. It's always difficult to have joy when s- someone else gets something that we want. If we always live in comparison, then we always have trouble um, being happy for anyone else. And yet in Romans 12, verse 15, we read, Rejoice with those who rejoice. We can't really do that if we're always comparing ourselves to someone else. It's extremely hard when, when they have engagements that we desire, when they have homes that we wish we lived in, when they have job offers that we wish we had, and they have looks that we wish we had. All of a sudden, we can't be happy for them. And, and we're living in this ice cream world of their bowl always seems bigger. They always have more ice cream. It's always better. And again, it robs us of our peace. The second thing is if we live a life of comparison, it it leads to suffocating financial debt. Because if you always compare what someone else has, you'll just spin yourself into oblivion if you have to have everything that someone else has. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, we're told, You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Because if we always want what someone else has, I mean, there's never enough money to buy all of those things because we're not content, because we're always comparing. But the third one is the worst consequence, I think, if we always compare, and that is we live a life of inner suspicion that God has ripped us off. And you know, if we live that way, that is a miserable way to live, to think, you know what, God ripped me off, and so I'm just going to be angry. So, so instead of having this peace that God has given us, instead of being able to look and appreciating all that God's provided, we kind of wipe all that away, and all we can focus on is what we don't have. And we think God has ripped us off, and so therefore, the life that we live, we have no peace. Never have any peace, because there's always something new, or there's always somebody who has something, and we live this life of comparison, and that's the worst one. So I, I, I want to ask you today, in a, to consider what's in your bowl. I mean, that's really the take-home question today. What's in your bowl? If you had this imaginary bowl in front of you of ice cream and you looked at it, instead of looking at someone else's bowl, instead of focusing on theirs is bigger, theirs is a different flavor, theirs is nicer, what is in your bowl? What has God given you and blessed your life with? I mean, what are those things? Your health? You know, we take our health for granted, but there's people that, that there's no money in the world that, that they would pay. And the first illustration to me that comes to mind is, I read the story of what's going on with Apple Computer and Steve Jobs, and I think there's not a more powerful man that has more money in the world, and yet it seems like his health is really failing, but he can't do anything about that. You cannot buy health. You cannot come up with enough money to pay enough doctors to fix your body if your body is just failing. And so many of us have that. Do we ever stop and tell God thanks? What about the freedom that we have? We've watched on TV of things unfold in Egypt 
And I've been to other parts of the world where people don't have the freedom to show up like you've shown up today and to be able to come to church. They don't have those freedoms. They do not exist. They try to go to church and they do it and hope no one sees them so they, they don't get in trouble. And yet, for us, we just think, hey, it's just America, right? It's just what we have. It's just what we do. The food that we have to eat, there are places in the world where, you know, we throw away enough food off of a plate that would feed a family of three and we, many times we just like, you know, it's just what we expect. Or, or the kind of food. You know, it's like, I don't do leftovers, man. I'm kind of not into that. And that's okay. I understand that. But sometimes we don't really appreciate what we have. You know, there are other people in the world that if you had tried to explain to them, you know, you, I've been to the country of India, and if you go to India and explain, I'm not really into leftovers. It's not my thing. They would look at you just like, are you from another planet? I mean, I, they, they would not be able to understand that at all. So what's God put in your ice cream bowl? Maybe you're thinking, you know, Dan, it's been a horrible year for me. And when I look at my bowl, I don't see a whole lot. Because really this past year, everything in my bowl got dumped out. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's relationally, maybe it's spiritually, um, whatever. You, you think, you know, we, there are seasons in life that are going to be like that, and they're going to be tough. And maybe you look at, God's dumped out my bowl, and I don't really have a whole lot in my bowl right now. But if that's the case, I would ask you to do this. Just turn it back over. Because I believe that we have a God who wants to put more back in it. Okay? And if you will focus on what God is doing in your life and not compare with what God is doing in everyone else's, then you will be able to see the beauty of what God gives to you. That is enough that is perfect for what you need. And if you can focus on that, we see that God is, in fact, completely beautiful. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, uh, verse 17, we read a verse that says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and that there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. David said it like this, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Even when our bowls get emptied out, God is waiting to put more back in. If we would just focus on the goodness of God, the perfectness of God, and the peace that he wants to bring to our lives, when we find joy in him and not comparing to others. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I want to guide you just in a little prayer with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And I want you just to take a moment and um, uh, I'm going to say, Dear God, I thank you for, and I want you to tell him something you're thankful for. All right? Take, take a moment and tell God what you're thankful for. Okay, now I think that some of us in this room probably owe God an apology, too, for the times when we focus on what everyone else has in their bowl, what everyone else is getting, in the sense of we think God somehow ripped us off. I, I think if you find yourself to have done that, would you just take a moment and tell God that you're sorry? Sorry for um, not being appreciative. Sorry of taking him for granted. Sorry of focusing on something else other than what God has blessed you with.
God, for each of us here, I pray that you would help us to find something in that story today that you can uh, apply and teach us, shape us, mold us, so that we can become the people that you've called us to be. Help us to appreciate all that you have given. Help us to focus on your goodness and what you have provided. And help us to, to, to keep from looking left or right and our, our eyes and our attention focused on something else. May we focus it on who you want us to be and your goodness and know and trust that in that, Father, we will find the beautiful peace that you have promised us through your son, Jesus. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand up now? We're going to move into a time of communion. And those who are serving communion, if you could come up to the front, please. Here at Exodus, we take the Lord's Supper um, each and every week. And so if you uh, are a believer in Christ, if, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are invited to come and you're invited to participate with us. We ask you in just a moment as Lucas sings, we're going to form a line. would be one over to my right, two here in the center, and one to my left. Just come forward and take a piece of the bread and just dip it into the cup and um, eat it. The bread represents Christ's broken body, and the blood represents his shed blood. And so we do that just to remember Christ and remember the sacrifice and the eternal life we have because of his death and resurrection. Uh, Let me say a prayer, and then we'll move into communion. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for loving us enough to send him. And Father, we remember him now as a church body, and we remember the sacrifice that he made and the price that he paid for our sins and the love that he showed by um, going through that for each and every one of us. And we say this prayer in his name. Amen.
priceless gift Undeserved life Have I been given Through Christ crucified You've called me out of death And you've called me into life I was under your wrath Now through the cross I'm reconciled At the cross you beckoned me You draw me gently to my knees and I am lost for words so lost in love I sweetly broken holy surrender in all of the cross I must confess how wondrous your Draw me gently to my knees, and I am lost for words, so lost in love, and I am sweetly broken, holy surrender at the cross. Beckon me, call me gently. Water you turned into wine You opened the eyes of the blind There's no one like you There's none like you 
Into the darkness he shines Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you There's none like you Cause our God is greater Our God is stronger God you are Our God is Into the darkness, into the darkness shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Cause our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God is for us, and who could ever stop us? If our God is with us, what could stand against? And if our God is for us, and who could ever stop us? If our God is with us, what could stand against? Hey, a couple reminders before we're dismissed. Um, remember the cards over here for Lucas and Eva. They're going to be over here on this table after service will be here this week and next week. Also, coming up February 26th, we have a gallery night. And Stephanie, yes, let Stephanie talk about that. There okay, you go. Yes, two weeks. Two weeks, can you hear me? Hello? Luke, Luke, Luke. Well, okay. In two weeks, we're having gallery night. 
It's a really cool all Exodus event. So we'll have uh, performers. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, yeah, two weeks gallery night is something we've been doing for at least five years now. Lucas and some guys started it off, and we'll have performers and. Um, um, display space, so you're invited to come as a participant, but we also want many of you to come as people to display their art and their um, performing things, and it's just a wide variety of ways that we can just all express ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, just a part of releasing life and worshiping God in kind of uh, funky different ways. So we had um, people reading poetry and singing songs, we had tap dancing, we had like a, a mashup DJ kind of thing, um, photography, um, painting, somebody took pictures, of, they, they remodeled a car, that was kind of their artsy thing, so they took pictures mm -hmm. of the remodeling the car. So just anything like that that you can think of um, is welcome. And um, Chelsea Jones, is Chelsea here? Well, you can't see her anyway with everyone standing, but uh, mm -hmm. if you go to the Exodus website, there is, you can see her email address on there, and uh, email Chelsea, she's kind of coordinating everything, but talk to me and Marcus and Lucas too if you have any questions and uh, get revved up, it's gonna be cool. All right, thank you, Stephanie. That's February 26th, a week from this Saturday. So if we, you can help us with uh, taking the chairs and folding them up and putting them against the wall, that would be great. Let me close this out in prayer, okay? God, thanks for a great day when we could gather. Now as uh, we go out of these doors, help us to go back to uh, our, our corner of the world, and may we let our lights shine bright for you this week. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great weekend.